Okay. Me, 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 me. We're not introing Joe right now, so yeah, don't wait yeah. for him to. We're not himself. even acknowledging him as We're a not, person. Nope. Not until <laughs> nope. his audio meets the such nerd standard of being at least as good as a prison phone call. Okay, fine. Got to say welcome. Welcome to the Such Nerds podcast. This is our season finale of season three. I'm going to say season like six times. You're very seasoned at intros, Peter. Yeah, don't listen to me. I have no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to audio. No, it's it's up to you. Like if this sounds, it sounds better, much, much better, better. much okay. much yeah. better. That's just the regular uh, iPhone mic. It's so awesome. It's probably better. Apparently, who knew? Yeah, let's go back and and do the intro again. You've gotten all your bad takes out now, so it should be great. Right? Me? Oh, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> You're sorry. I'm, You've gotten all your sl- slightly less important takes out. Now you can go with the straight importance right off the top. All right, hold on. Now I gotta get. Now I gotta get back into like juicy MC vibe. Yeah. <clears throat> Welcome to the Such Nerds podcast. We've got a very exciting episode tonight. We are wrapping up season three, which is the original trilogy of Isaac Asimov's Foundation series. I am your master of ceremonies tonight, Peter, calling from Long Island, along with my illustrious and beautiful co-hosts. Jason from Connecticut. And Dan from Los Angeles. And we have a very special guest for tonight. Very special guest. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? I will do it. Hi, I'm Joe. I'm from Denver. It's a pleasure to be here, gentlemen. Well, it's very nice to have you, Joe. Joe, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, since they have no idea who you are. Perfect, perfect. Uh, I, I know a couple of these folks uh, from the past. I, uh, I I live here in Denver, and I uh, am a odd combination of humans. I'm part computer scientist, part lawyer, part doctor. I've been advertised as steeped in the knowledge of Asimov, I think, by this podcast. But uh, I've, I've read a lot of these books, and I'm excited to be on here. And I've, I heard that I might have been one of the first people to actually subscribe to this podcast on multiple podcasting services. I don't know if that's true. Joe, I, Joe you are the first uh, follower of the Such Nerds podcast. First citizen, first citizen of the podcast. First citizen. I have a much more important question. How did you yeah. get all of those people inside of you? Um, it, it took a lot of school. Um, you know, I've, I've met a few folks that have delusions that are very similar to my life story, but I decided to live those delusions. That's, so did they like forcibly enter themselves through you or did you like consume them? Well, you know, I, I try not to eat people anymore. The judge says I shouldn't do that. Okay, um, that's good. It's been, a, it's been a process. It explains the orange jumpsuit. Well, we're very excited to have you. So, 
while we're on a roll, uh, Jason, as the uh, as the CIT of summaries, why don't you go ahead and summarize this week for us? CIT, counselor in training. Counselor in training. All right. I would say that Dan is the master of summaries. That is true. Dan is the master of summaries. Like the unpaid intern of summaries. I bequeath my summarizing powers to Jason this week. Thank you, Dan. Much appreciated. Now go get him coffee. So folks, as you know, we have now completed the first three chronologically written books. And just to jog our memories and uh, facilitate the discussion tonight, I'll very quickly go over some of the key points from each of the books. In the first book, we meet a very important character, Harry Selden, uh, and we learn about his plan to shorten the period of the interregnum after the impending fall of the empire from 30,000 years down to a mere thousand years. And we begin to see some of the stepping stones of his plan be fulfilled through the course of the first book. In the second book, called Foundation and Empire, we see a more significant challenge to the success of the Foundation uh, with a particularly ambitious general from the remains of the Empire. He ultimately fails in his attempt to conquer the Foundation, turning over the story to a new antagonist called the Mule. Uh, The Mule succeeds, actually, in conquering the Foundation and becomes what he calls the first citizen and establishes his own pseudo-Empire. At the end of the book, we are introduced to the concept of the Second Foundation, which is believed to be a secret organization that is fostering the continuation of the Selden plan, obviously a threat to the mule's reign. In the third book, called Second Foundation, we dig a little bit deeper into the Second Foundation through the first attempt by the mule to locate and destroy the Second Foundation for the perpetuation of his empire. Uh, He ultimately fails, is converted to a docile compliant being by the Second Foundation. In the second part of the book, the First Foundation, uh, who also feels threatened by the Second Foundation, seeks out the Second Foundation, only ultimately to believe that they have conquered the Second Foundation, but to have been duped by the Second Foundation into believing so, so the Second Foundation can continue to shepherd the Selden plan. Okay. Not bad for an intern's effort. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> That's well done. So, Joseph, as our, our resident uh, Isomoff expert, what did you think of said summary? I mean, I think it's tough to summarize certainly the first book. I think once you get into the second, excuse me, Foundation Empire and Second Foundation, at least you kind of have a running story. Yeah, I think that Jason did a great job of summarizing <laughs> what happened. That's very generous of you. Thank you, Joe. It means a lot to me. It does. No, I'm glad. All right. Well, before we get uh, too much further um, into the main discussion about what everybody thinks and whatnot, uh, Jason, I think typically we have some season-ending questions that you tend to lead. Do you want to go ahead and kick some of those off? So before I dig into any of our kind of probing questions for the uh, for the co-host this evening, I would just like to let everybody know that at this point in time, we have over 900 downloads of the Such Nerds podcast um, across all of our episodes. And potentially by the time this actually uh, gets posted, it could be close to 1,000. I hope it will be. Um, 
And we're continuing good momentum. So um, I just wanted to thank my co-hosts, thank our listeners, and uh, congratulate everybody all around on a, a very enjoyable journey. And, you know, only four more books to go. I'm glad to glad to hear that you plan on continuing. It sounded like like an epitaph. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 not quite. Like and uh, and Jason has terminal cancer, and this will be his lab toss. No, it's it's the special season finale. Is all of us get murdered? Yeah, and there's no podcast. <laughs> By I mean, we Joe, do have somebody who's the podcast jumpsuit, and you wonder what the outcome is going to be. And continues the show with all of our other season finale co-hosts who have been quietly waiting in the shadows to pounce on our uh, absence. The second pot, the second podcast <laughs> yes. that's been controlling the podcast <laughs> all along. Oh, the second God. such nerds. <laughs> oh, the first question I have for my co co-hosts. The first question and I your have coat for hosts my, <laughs> for my coat hooks. My cowpokes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think the first, you know, the my favorite question from earlier in our in our podcast and worth revisiting, I think, as we get introduced to more and more characters, is which character do you identify with from now we have three books to pull from? Joe, if you don't mind being put on the spot, you can go first, or if you want us to kind of revisit our association, and then you can chime in after you've had a little, a few moments to to grind on it. I think I can go. In a weird way, when reading it, I kind of feel for the mule. I think the mule is an interesting character in that, you know, he just wants to rule the world and the universe and, and kind of uh, almost gets there and is a little bit preoccupied with one thing is figuring out what this other force is and it's his undoing to be so single-minded and focused when he could have honestly really set up something big but i think it's it's interesting and kind of identify with him as someone who you know has been guilty of certainly over focusing on certain things in the past and not seeing the big picture is this because you're so emotionally manipulative? That's part of it, yes. I like to uh, gaslight people and a uh, big fan of, uh, you know, just being that abusive person in relationships. It's important. That's awesome. Um, so we have an opening for somebody like you in my uh, organization. So um, I'll be contacting you after the podcast. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Joe, do you have any existing religious affiliations that you would have to renounce to uh, to join <laughs> Peter's happy little? <laughs> well, I, mean, I like to book. call it a cult of personality. I mean, okay. on, on the book somewhere, I'm sure um, I'm a member of the Church of Life. Um, probably just in case I needed to perform a wedding ceremony or something like that. And uh, I think. Uh, Probably on the books somewhere there's there's a list of me in a Roman Catholic church somewhere, but I, I don't think I'd, I would have to renounce them. Do you have to renounce your no? Not at all. You think you about pay the franchise fee and then <laughs> yeah. the subsequent royalties. Exactly. Peter is half of all collections. They want they people who are willing to renounce their affiliations with other religions 
that's exactly the kind of people that Peter Rizzo been looking to bring into their ranks. <laughs> sort of morally tenuous, you know, people who are just be able to be swayed with certain incentives from long, long held beliefs. Those, those are people that are right in the Peterism wheelhouse. So I think you work out great. And then they're fine with previous criminal records or current uh, fugitive status that may or may not happen as well. So that's not a problem either. Yeah, depending um, on your ability to evade tax law. Yeah. You, know, you may have a really valuable position. You know, depending upon your desire to be a bag man, per se, has been said. Somebody might take take, take the fall for a certain acts. <laughs> um, it really is shaping up great here. I, I, I cannot say that I've ever officially said anything like that. No. My lawyer has advised me against saying things like that. <laughs> no, after confessing to crimes on the, on the previous podcast, there was prison phone call. He's trying to avoid repeating that in future episodes. Exactly. So. Such prison podcast. <laughs> have, have you guys ever actually called a prison? No, no, I can't say that I have. So have you? There's a there's a horrible company. Called, our jumpsuit, of course, you can. Uh, I'm I'm giving you like insider information here a little bit, but there's a company called Global Telink, and like you know how you if you wanted to get a phone line tomorrow, right, and make calls anywhere in the world and have a have a number. You, there's like a bajillion different services you can use. They all charge less than a penny to, per minute to every country on the earth. You could probably even call North Korea. Like literally you could call anywhere. But these folks are like the only people left that can charge over a dollar a minute for phone calls to people that honestly can't afford it. It's it's really sad actually. But And the quality is exactly like... Uh, you would think it sounds like you're calling from a prison and usually about five minutes left on the call. You get a little like reminder, your account is about to run out of money. Please deposit some more money and make this call again. Meanwhile, that person was like waiting in line for the one phone on their pod or whatever during phone time. And they're SOL. You're not going to speak to them uh, in the future. It's, 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 miserable. it's, it's really miserable, but the phone quality absolutely horrible and exactly as you would expect. So, so would you say it's better or worse than the audio quality on this podcast? Uh, it's it's it depends on the week, right? If you're calling in from prison, certainly uh, <laughs> it sounds like that. <laughs> depends on the status of Jason's codex. Whether yes, or not. Exactly. I can neither I confirm or deny my, that I yeah. called from prison. <laughs> exactly. I don't yeah. recall. No, it's, it's fine. So, Joe, I just like to document you know, at least, you know, in the oral history here that I think there's two other types of people that you embody that you didn't tell us about when you went through your intro. Uh Um, Apparently you're also a priest and because you lied to us, you must be a con man as well. (laughs) He's going to fit right in. I was going to say, the win-win in the Peterism book. (laughs) Resume just keeps getting stronger. (laughs) Grow the faith. Grow the faith. Peter, I think I know the answer to this question, but who would you say that you identify with out of the trilogy? I would say that the person I'm most like is the Hober Mallow spaceship, in that you get really excited to see him at the first, and then all of a sudden it just explodes and is a huge disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hober Mallow for his career arc. The initial trader. Down to the skin, mayor, exploding Exploded battleship or (laughs) traitor ship. (laughs) You're like, oh, look, this is going to be awesome. 
it's a common thing because it's almost like our, our friend, the trader, uh, who we thought the same thing was going to have this super awesome lifestyle. He he and uh, breaking out against Bel Rios, and then it uh, turns out he dies in the salt mines. And so, but yeah, I, I had be pegged as Hober Mallow. Um, oh yeah, of course, some form of Hober. We're just saying that because I'm apparently. down to the skin as we do this podcast right now. <laughs> he's down to the atomic skin after he's been blown to smithereens. All his clothes <laughs> were the vaporized in the explosion. Unfortunately, how about you, Jason? Yeah, I was going to put you on the spot first, Dan. I, you can do uh, that, too. <laughs> yeah, go for it. My answer, like Peter's, is the same as before. Uh, when we talked about the first book, I identified with Ponyets, who was basically just a trader trying to run his own sales organization uh, in the outer reaches of the galaxy, marketing nucleic trinkets you know, in and around various remote planets. Got dragged into some sort of planetary rescue mission, um, sort of against his will uh, and person who didn't have a whole lot of time to, to manage uh, his own affairs and had to deal with a bunch of nonsense, you know, completely unrelated to him. So I still feel very much uh, in my day-to-day life like Ponyets. Um, so I'm not going to change my answer there. Not just my day-to-day work life and family life, but also some of the summary responsibilities that I have. It, it really adds up after a while. So Ponyets it is. I prefer the less acceptable ponyets. Ponyets, maybe. It's also known as Twilight Sparkle. Riding my pony. Yes. Oh, when you say it that way, it sounds so much better. That's what I'm here for. It's such a nostalgia podcast. And you also gave me some time to stall further because I really. While I ask this question of everybody, (laughs) I really don't have a good answer anymore because I guess I'll have to resort to hanging with Pritchard till the end. When he came through and his personality and semi-belligerent, but for the cause, it really felt familiar. And as he got older, he got kind of like wedged into or pigeonholed into his role. And he continued to kind of rise in the ranks, if you will. But he was uh, still kind of like, you know, part of the, the machine of the mule's reign. While I want to think that, you know, maybe I'm headed for a better end than just uh, <laughs> getting my mind world. tweaked by the, by the second foundation and then, you know, dying a, a quiet death after the mule passes away and my, you know, my, all my purpose in life is kind of withered and, and fallen by the wayside. Yeah, it's hard for me to pick a better or a character that I associate with more than, more than Mr. Pritchard. And solid beard too, you know. So. And 30 days growth, you know, 30 yeah. days growth. So, yes, very much so. No one picked Arcady. I know. I, mean, I was No one's identifying with an internal 14-year-old girl. I'm sad. It's okay. I mean, I would say that my, um, my divine feminine is probably closer to a 14-year-old girl's, but, you know. As far as, I think I nailed it the first time. Expectations are high and suddenly dashed. <laughs> you know, we, it came up in, in a previous episode, uh, just the fact that, you know, how important Arcady saw herself um, as the only important person in the galaxy. I figured, like, she was the, the most important yeah, person. The most important yes. person. 
And self-declared. Uh, I just imagine that Peter would have a hard time associating with any character more than her after that statement. So he's a uh, prime palver. This is more more Peter's type type thing. Which guy was that again? The hot <laughs> show, the second foundation. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. They, they they call it the Peterism of Asimov's day in the 1950s. <laughs> he was act, He was really. He wasn't the character that thought he was the most important. He was the character who was the most important. Which actually, I understand most important. how that's any different from my actual reality, Jason. <laughs> It's just, well, I mean, I I do understand you are married to Martin Lawrence and drag, so it does does really fall in line with Big Mama and Big Papa relationship that you know. <laughs> Martin, it's Martin, crazy. <laughs> but no, clearly not. Still, still riding the Hobermallow. I don't blame you. Got to stick to your guns. I feel like the Foghorn Leghorn voice comes up whenever I read. <laughs> Papa for some reason. Yeah, it's the same thing. So true. He's like a country bumpkin style. Uh, And Arcady, you know, is very much, what does he call himself? I'm a chicken hawk, right? Chicken hawk. (laughs) It's Arcady, like taking on on big foghorn leghorn there. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking she's going to (laughs) win. Oh, Joe, this is a gold mine. This is a gold mine. I love Foghorn Lego personally, even aside from his foundation. And again, same concept as we brought before. I mean, I guess it's it's kind of concurrent. I mean, those those cartoons are written in probably the fifties, so it's not one of these ones where I just knew Foghorn Leghorn before I knew Papa Prem Palver and thought one would, it was impacted by the other. When in actuality, they were contemporaries, so it's probably not one being affected by the other. That's that's something that I always think about when I read these two. Like, what was contemporary at the time and. And it's always like you, like gee golly gosh, space that kind of stuff. <laughs> the uh, like, I mean, some of this stuff was like written during the war. I would say even like, or like very shortly after. Um, so like all of the World War II stuff was was certainly right there. I think that's kind of an interesting thing, like just culturally, like because we we read these statements in them and they're like. What what are, what do they mean here? And they're making like these analogies that don't make any sense. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but mm. I, I feel like you have to be like in the time, and that's maybe mm. the weakness of these books. In this, I'm, <laughs> pretty, I'm pretty sure the original readers got got the foundation books uh, by spaceship printed from from Cal- <laughs> Calgan. That's Probably shipped across the galaxy. Shipped across the galaxy. Books <laughs> through <laughs> that. From the encyclopedic printing press. Yeah, yes. From the printing yeah. press. <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, that's come up before, and we talked a little bit about, you know, um, like what was going on in the day. And to your point, Joe, I was kind of curious, uh, you know, Herbert was the same way, and a lot of his other stories besides Dune um, it, were initiated through these kind of article not really articles they were they were written in like sci-fi magazines as short stories mm-hmm. and uh you got to meet like these characters for the first time and then he'd come out with a big book that was a follow-on or you know a supplemental to that original character's introduction that came through in the magazine and so i actually uh bought like an old copy of uh, <laughs> galaxy 
I think it was Galaxy Science Fiction. And it's like the size of a book. It's like this big. Sorry. It's like this big, but it's just a little thinner. It's like half thickness and it's really thin pages. And it's just loaded with short stories. And uh, I think our listeners um, have a pretty good feel for how big this big is. Can you it was roughly put some descriptors the on there for us? Of the foundation novel that I have in my hand that we read on on actual paper, like printed, uh, published book. But it's about half as thick, so it's probably less than a half inch thick um, and thinner paper. Or if you're in a metric country, the actual Galaxy magazine was roughly 1.25 centimeters in thickness mm-hmm. or less. Yeah. 12, 12 and a half millimeters. 12 and a half uh, millimeters even. People who are, you know. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> now I know what you're saying. Right. How many stone does that book weigh? Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> How many centiliters? How many deciliters? That's all I got. Deciliters. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So anyway, That's Jason, as you were saying before, I rudely interrupted you, uh, requiring you yes. use descriptors you. on yes. things like size. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> so the other the other thing that uh, that got me curious was like, okay, so like these guys were writing this stuff in magazines. Like, what were the other stories like? That they were that were they were sandwiched between when they were originally published that these guys stood out so much, were they completely different, or was there just like this ocean of similar type stories? And there's a lot of great short stories out there from that time, and some of them have made collections of the you know good ones that they've had over time, and uh, yeah, it's been really enjoyable. But the thing that I noticed is that a lot of the concepts that come up and for us are like, they're standout-ish because they're not like what we have today, um, are not just unique to Isimov. They're, they're stuff that was in the air at the time, you know, like the types of fantastical technologies are kind of consistent across, and the means of traveling through space are kind of similar across these stories. And um, I would say the the one unique thing, though, to kind of turn it back to some of our standard questions about Asimov, I'm sure it had nothing to do with the environment of post-war America, um, because we've always been always very good about taking care of our health, was the prolific consumption of tobacco products throughout his especially first foundation novel and also revisited throughout the other two books. And it, that's definitely 1950s America, though. I mean, like, I would say the same thing about, you know, the, the crazy amount of bananas, nucleic devices, you know, the idea that nucleics were just like the be-all, end-all, and they're going to be in everything, and everything's going to be nucleic-powered, and there's no downside to just having tremendous amounts of nucleic pillows you can rest on <laughs> when you're ill, and, like, nucleic <laughs> ashtrays you can use for your hexagons, and, you know, just like... This, <laughs> Just the craziest things, like oh yeah, just it fits in your pocket. It's nucleic, no problem. <laughs> you know the same thing. Where I guess in 1952, it's like, well, what could be the downside of nucleics? You know. Well, I mean, the, you have to think like the era. Like there were like there was like washing machines before there were electric washing machines, right? Mm-hmm. But some of them had internal combustion engines that were running them, <laughs> those kinds of things. Like, I think that was the same concept. It's like, well, what if we put a, a nuclear reactive device to power this, you know, lighter, 
That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Like you said, ashtray and those these things. Train station. Nuclear train station. Just have an hour-long discussion of how the stupid train ticket machine works right. in the last <laughs> book. Where it goes on and on. And you're like, it, it, what did they do before? And you think about it like, well, before you put the token in to the subway and you got on the subway. Or if you were taking the train, someone would someone would actually just punch your ticket, you know, and, and this persisted for a long time. It's we're, we we kind of look back on it now, like in the late eighties, a lot of these technologies still kind of existed, even though there was the potential for mass computerization. So it, it is weird, like just to look at the, the progress on it, um, so to speak. So it, it's, let's stick the nuclear device into everything. Why not? It's a, it's a nucleic powered abacus that they use to calculate the, <laughs> calculate the change for the trade ticket. It's, it's, it's travel across the galaxy. Thing. Yeah, they got they got intergalactic travel, but they still have to do calculations. Oh, we can we can fit an entire book on this. Yeah, we can fit an entire book on this pad, but there's only one book on it for some reason. Yeah. Even though we have a computer that has access to all of human knowledge yeah. in Star mm -hmm. Trek, for example, like. But we can only put one book on this on this giant device that's thicker than anything that we would use today to read something. So that's probably because they 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 was it was written on dictaphone. They had to print out only had so much paper to spit out the back. Oh man, yeah. Some of the hospitals I work at, you can still dictate. So there's literally, you call a number, you punch in your code, and you dictate your note, and someone types it for you. Really. But it still exists. Most hospitals do not do that. They definitely don't. But it, it's still a thing that happens. So you can. How often do you abuse you that? Documentation. <laughs> Take down a note. You know, it's it's an interesting skill, right? It's something that's completely lost. Like if you go to write a memo, like as an email now, it's just like, oh, I'm going to shoot an email to Bob. Hey, Bob, can you do this for me? Thanks. Whereas before, you had to be like, okay. It's a memo. It's going to go to Bob, but Bob's going to send it to like 20 other people. So I got to make sure that it's addressed correctly and that we have the, these are the, again, this is the era that he's writing in, right? These are literally, there's a secretary. There's someone that you pay a full year salary, right? To type this stupid thing for you. To like, do your emails. Literally like do the carbon it. copy it's, is a literal carbon copy. Right. Yeah. Right. It's not a CC. Exactly. You have transfer sheets, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Like, ah, oh, I didn't press my pen down hard enough, and now yes. we're invading Anacreon. Oops. Sorry, Calgon. Check the wrong I box. said don't, but you can't see it. It just says do. <laughs> Whoops. And, and we, we take for granted, like, the, like the tag-along things that, that we do today that come from things that, you know, if you come in cold, you'd never understand. Like if if we showed Isimov uh, a computer today, do you think that you know? Be if we if we took Isimov from the fifties, right, and we showed him one of today's computers, what do you think he would think the save button image is? He would have no idea that that's a disk like a three and a half floppy because mm. people who are like learning how to use computers for the first time now, like my kids, 
They've never seen a three and a half floppy inch disk. Yeah. They have no what idea what that? that image is. Yeah. And it's it's just crazy to think about how much things have changed. And like the ticket machine, right? We take it for granted. But for him, it was like this a magical concept that a, tic- a ticket machine could accurately calculate the change of the money that you put in and spit it all back to you, you know? One of the one of the most interesting current uh, sort of discussions that I've heard around around that sort of time frame is with regards to phones. Like people who, if you're like talking to somebody and you're like, "Oh, I'm gonna call them on the phone," you do like a thing with your hand. Like so, people will do like this with a thumb and a pinky, like it's an actual phone because they grew up when there was a handset or whatever. And like, "Oh, I'm gonna call somebody on the phone." And the younger people will be like, oh, I'm calling them on the phone. They just put their hand straight to the side of their face because what they identify as a phone is somebody with a cell phone or something that literally or a cordless phone. So the concept of like at a certain point, people were like 14 or 15. They went from being like this to being like this when their phone operation because they there's no handset for them. They've never used a phone handset, you know. And but, those two this is for our audience are Dan holding his hand in the hang loose symbol against his, the side of his face. And then the other this is him holding his hand flat against the side of his face. I don't know if this, I don't know if this portion, Dan, is going to cut so, the, uh, so, yeah, the so audio. For those of us who are listening to the <laughs> deep cuts, unedited version of Such Nerd Podcast, 75 years in the future. Yeah. I don't know what exactly. your phone's going to look like. Sometime in the future when we can actually see the video while we listen to the audio. That would be amazing. If we could do that. Mm. Yeah, we don't have that kind of technology. My nuclear reactor isn't quite up up running yet. So Joe, you you segued us right into it, into the ridiculous technology, right? With the with the ticket machine. And uh that's like our other our other key question. Um Peter, you've been a little bit quiet. Um you know we're talking about Foundation, the first three novels this evening, right? Just to make what? It, yeah. <laughs> Foundation or Empire. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any? Uh... Well, I really liked him when Darth Vader came on the screen. Yeah. That was my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> so Dan and Joe and I, we all went to the same nerd college together. So we are all tech techno technophiles. We're certified technophytes. I don't know what sure. of the two. Yeah. Technophilia. Um, <laughs> Lord Lord Stetton is a technophile. <laughs> He's a technophiliac. <laughs> so uh, we are all like techie, you know, techie types and uh, technology is like, you know, a, kind of natural for us to appreciate. And for someone who's a little bit more on the soft skills side of the house, if I can say it that way, Peter, um, I think it'd be nice to just hear your take on what kind of technology stuff was interesting. I mean, nuclear, we've already covered a lot of it, right? Nucleic everything, right? The ashtrays. Um, I mean, they didn't mention transfer sheets, but I imagine that they're there. Newspapers in space, right? Like waiting for the, the evening news to update from light years away to travel to you via a newspaper, right? That That's like a legitimate form of communication, Right when the uh, when the propaganda starts to flow, they're like, "Ah, oh, the mules got into the got into the newspapers." Like now, his influence is really going to be taking off, even though he's got mind control powers. 
Um, and then, you know, they, they're still using, you know, radio is a big part of it, it seems. They have something called a televisor, which I guess is like, you know, the same idea. It's basically television that's being transmuted across space. I didn't get the impression it was a two-way communication kind of skill. Um, it's also hard for me to, like, step back and be like, oh, yeah, that's so crazy that they're still using all that paper because my office is super integrated and we use transfer sheets <laughs> and printed out documents and folders. Fax it, Peter. Fax it. Fax those quotes. <laughs> yeah. I haven't faxed a quote in 12 years. Thank you very much. Congratulations. Did he say 12 years? He did say 12 years. Clearly later. Clearly not doing business in Japan because they're still yeah. way on the fax machine. Um, yeah. even these days when I lit just so just for context when I was living in Japan Dan the phone that we had was literally a phone slash fax machine that was like compact and you'd like slide the paper in the top just and you'd have it there all the time like collecting dust just in case somebody tried <laughs> to fax you something because certain things you have to do by fax in Japan. Yeah. So people have these like little fax machine phones that take up a giant chunk of space in their in their small homes, their rabbit houses. <laughs> right? So so they can be prepared to receive or send a fax when they fact, need to. Just, just in case. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's crazy. And this is only like yeah, this is less than a decade ago. So Yeah. Yeah, well, so that that that's a culture that that holds on to things a little bit sometimes. But my favorite was uh, Devers when he was bribing the guards with like the with like the uh, <laughs> like the refrigerator. refrigerators that he had like <laughs> shifted in the middle of the war zone, like <laughs> to pay off the guards so he could get like the the whatever visual books or whatever that he was trying to get when he was in prison. <laughs> There's so many levels. Just like he's clearly bribed, he was able to bribe the guard with just these crazy nucleic devices for the guy's wife who lives Lord knows where. And he's doing this right under the nose of this this uh, Bel Rio's guy, the crazy general on a ship. You know, in the middle of the galaxy where there's a war going on. Like there's just so many things where it's like. Oh, yeah, I just bribed him. I got him a nucleic ironing board for his wife back home or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, sure, of course. Thanks. Yes. Hopefully your wife got those uh, nuclear-powered, durable, durable goods shipments from across yes, the galaxy. All, you know what? You know what? I, I, I can't believe I forgot this. It's, I it's love that they have this ability to transmute like any yeah. molecule into yes. like gold. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, I need to get all the tin I can get. I, I, I thought it was perfect because it's it's it was convoluted nucleic devices, extremely far fetched shipping and transportation policies, incredibly chauvinistic goods and devices. Like it's really the the home run of of all of Isomov's hot points there. Like something for the little old lady around the house. You know, nineteen fifties America. It was it was just really a home run in Isomovian terms. I, I love that, especially when with the um, like the convenience nucleics, like you know the refrigerators and the washing machines and the self ironing boards and the nucleic ashtray disintegrators. Like, oh, all those nucleics are going to run out, and they're going to stop working. And then you know yeah. what? 
then we'll have those jokers exactly where we want them because their wives are going to be so pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> the housewives revolt, right? Yeah. That's how they beat yeah. the, uh, what That's were they? How- it was the Corellians, wasn't it? That they got the housewives revolt was the method that Hober Mallow used. Amazing. They have a post-scarcity economy because they can make anything out of anything, basically. But they yeah. still manage to, uh, to corner the market somehow, magically, like there would be a market. That's- that's because they nobody was had to actually work anything. It's exactly. like they're they're signing them up and doing dentured servitude by getting him hooked on these devices, and it's like, oh, the device breaks, and now you're screwed. Now we've got you, right here. <laughs> the, was that the guy with the with the the original female character in the Foundation series, the, yes, the shrew wife? Shrew wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's just like belittling this guy yes. for marrying. So my daddy's down. the reason you're in power. <laughs> Your oh, father. Yeah. Yeah, not great. Not great. Eisenhoff yeah, definitely has come a long way in terms of his female character. Like you pointed before, Joe, about the first books when we talked about it, how like it was stilted and it was just – you think about it like he was – how young he was and how be- it was the beginning of his literary career. You know, and as we've gotten through the trilogy and it, it's gotten more readable and better furnished, you can kind of forgive some of his earlier you know, missteps, as it were, in terms of story creation. Um yeah, because the, the the series really picks up as it goes along. Yeah, it it makes a difference. I think she definitely grew as an author um, as it as it moved forward, and and I think that's it's probably for everyone's benefit. Otherwise, uh, it would have been bad. Definitely. And you the uh, the early works moving forward, it would have been uh, it would have been a hard read. Let's just say that. I mean, I think we all know how I felt about the reads. <laughs> you know. It was bad. I was like, man, these are, why are these, this is this guy famous? And then, uh, you know, by like, what was it? Probably the second half of the second book, I was like, all right, this is a book now. Like, this is, this is entertaining. Like, the last, what did I say? Like, the last four chapters were like genuinely riveting with the second book. And the third book was good all the way through, right? Like, I, there was no time where I was like, oh, God, this is such a slog. Mm. Where are the shrill women at? (laughs) (laughs) Called it the Such Broads podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Right down. How many times have I told you that? 1950s derogatory women commentary. uh, You know, where do these women get? Where do these broads get off? Brought her a nucleic heater and everything. Gets no respect. Content podcast. Uh, such Corellian such Corellian podcast. I think we need to start using the word shrew more. Some of us are in positions of power amongst amongst cults to probably implement that type of uh, verb. Oh the, yeah, the ostracized can become shrews. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd like to uh maybe ask um give the give joe the floor a little bit and just uh maybe talk a little bit about you know your journey with Isomov. you've like you were willing to you know like our our like mike when he came on for the season two finale joe has like reread the books more than maybe more than once even and you've read you've read all the books first of all i think right and then you also have read other Isomov, you know, 
Isaac Asimov. I know you know we call him Asimov, so I'll keep calling him Asimov. Yeah. Other Asimov series that also uh, it sounded like from uh, some of your emails early on when we were doing the, starting the show off that there's other context around the Foundation universe that brings like more life to the story from some of his other series. So just yeah, maybe you can give us a quick uh, without too much spoiling. Or any I spoiling. Don't it obviously, for you guys, but I think certainly you can tell these are early works, right? Especially, you know, that they were published in magazines before they were novelized for most of them, um, for most of the individual sub stories within each book. So I think later in life, this isn't a secret. You can easily Google this. He certainly tried to combine some of his literary universes, whatever you want to call it, into a unified uh, Azimov literary, movie, cinematic, whatever universe. Um, and I think it does give context. Some of these places, if you, again, if you read enough of these things, like some of the names of the planets become meaningful, certainly later on. Um, some of the sub-characters become more important later on. Um, things get woven in and rewritten, basically, a little bit to kind of give you a more linear story. And the guy actually, once he does kind of find his voice, I think that's what you're seeing in the second and the third books is he's kind of finding his voice. And once he does find his voice in writing, I think he kind of runs with it. And you read a couple of the other, you know, there's, there's mystery novels, basically. Some of the robot novels are mysteries, right? It's a kind of, how do we solve it? Who done it kind of thing. And, that sounds cheesy, but I mean, that was what was kind of popular at the time, you know, in, you know, in, on TV, for example, those things were kind of popular again, and it, it makes it more fun. Some of the stuff is really silly, like the gal- the Galaxy kind of series, those kind of middle books, um, you'll, if you get to them ever, um, it, you know, I don't know. I'm not as big a fan, for example, of those, but I think... Uh, uh, I, I guess I can talk more about the introduction. My my dad introduced me to Foundation series. He was a big fan. He still is. He's alive. Uh, so he was. He's a fan of Azimov. And um, you know, it was something that I kind of was like, oh yeah, that's cool. I'll read it, Dad. You know. And then I got to the third ish books where it's actually interesting, and I'm like, okay, I get it. I get why he likes these and that they're interesting and that they're kind of space opera, science fiction. There's a big wide, huge universe involved and it gets you kind of thinking. So it's, it's a, it's a fun topic. And then it kind of goes into um, an area of stuff that I'm kind of interested in personally, is that the whole, like how do large groups of people behave I think that part is really interesting in these in these books because, you know, can we predict, you know, how uh, a large swath of people are going to react to a certain stressor in a group? And I think the current science would say, no, we can't predict that. Obviously, we can maybe predict it if it's it's devastating, like there's a huge drought and it kills all the crops or something like that. Through history, we can go see if there's a drought, everyone dies and. And that's it. But I think it's interesting to see, like, with given a large enough group, can you kind of predict how people will act? And, you know, 
I think there is some science there, certainly to give you an idea of, of how that is. And it's an interesting exploration there too, because again, going back to when this was written, like the understanding of psychology then is certainly a lot different than our understanding of psychology now. So less about, um, you know, Freudian cigar stuff now, right? Like we're not thinking of large archetypes and Kant, not Kant, uh, like just really like esoteric cultural phenomenon that, oh, there's a subconscious that's shared between everybody, you know, those kinds of things. That's, that's, you know, we don't, we don't think about those things that way. We don't think about large archetypes in psychology. If you're treating a patient, what the hell is the use for that? Right? Like, the problem is they're depressed. They want to kill themselves, you know? I mean, we're trying to keep it upbeat on the Such Nerds podcast, Joe. So maybe you can talk about, like, you know, like a shopaholic or, uh, <laughs> or somebody who are just like, you know, they, uh, they're yes, obsessively compulsive. Illusions of grandeur yeah. about yeah. the religion yeah. that they yeah. founded, maybe something yes. like that. Yeah, Psychologically, that you can analyze. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah, interested yeah. in that. I'm interested in finding people who are interested in joining those kinds of organizations. How can I manipulate? I mean, guide those people. A How can I better. help? Yeah. How can I help? So, again, I think the newer science is going to be like, how do people think about stuff? Or how does uh, someone's behavior influence their emotions? How does their thinking influence their emotions and their behavior? Those kinds of things. Whereas, you know, when he was writing this, it was like, oh, well, there is this underlying stuff. And, you know, we need to we, we have these subconscious thoughts that everyone must have because we grew up in the same culture and society. And so maybe we can predict something from that. It's not a huge leap if that's the state of the art. So, again, it's an interesting again, it's a it's a time capsule piece in a way. I, I met Jung before when I said Kant. I don't know why I said Kant. I think I was thinking of uh, maybe more of the the rationalism that you should respect others kind of stuff. But that's a wrong podcast. I don't think podcast. the majority of our our listeners are going to catch the, your philosophical fallacy. I hope so. <laughs> Ma- um, Emmanuel Kant. So, As in, I can't understand I, who you're talking about. Exactly. I can't believe it. It's not butter. It's not butter. Yeah. I can't believe it's not a manual. <laughs> so one of the one of the people that you aren't, Joe, one of the people that are not in your in your um, persona is an economist. I'm not. Yes. Right. And I would just like to say that if I had to pick a science that was the closest to psychohistory. I would have to pick economics because it is the application of mathematical formula to the behavior of humans, although it's in a marketplace and and based on the monetization of the variables, uh, it is very much along the lines of applying math to human behavior. So um, I'm a believer that there is a possibility to generate some form of at least directional prediction at this point in time. Um, I think that the precise calculus of a series or a cascading chain of events through a thousand years is a little bit far-fetched. But at the same time, I'm reading another book right now that is hard to find time to uh, to read, but um, I'm inching my way through it, and it's called Super Forecasters. And the whole shtick is that the 
like your average forecaster out there is a total hack because everybody's basically throwing darts no matter how hard they think they're they're you know how hard a science they think they're doing as a as a forecaster but there are a few tail end of the bell curve sorry tail end of the bell curve forecasters out there that are like consistently on the mark like every time they make a forecast they're like you know really really good at uh at saying what's going to happen so it also you know could be like like that on the spice well, it's, de- it's yeah, like, it's like they're Harry Seldon-ish people. But if you think about like macroeconomics, like if you think about it in the same way, right? You Microeconomics where people, it's like how, what is rational rational human human economic man doing with his day-to-day life for maximize his, his maximum utility? How do you stack all those millions of microeconomic decisions on top of each other to form macroeconomics of what the actual mm-hmm. gross economy does in terms of supply and demand? It's almost impossible, even just in one society and one sort of trying to predict economic trends five years down the line. So the idea of like, oh, well, we can use, you know, there's certain, you know, inevitable trends, but like, that's fine. It's hard to even do over generations of people. The idea of doing it for thousands of years struck me as just kind of so far fetched because of the variability and, uh, you know, but like, I agree with you wholeheartedly, like macroeconomics should probably be the most similar ac- application that you get but what i know about it is that it's impossible <laughs> it's completely impossible to predict in the, those types of things even in a relatively short time frame you know of, of months and years rather than decades and generations and thousands of years but maybe i'm just not a very good economist no 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 i think it's true and and what we ultimately learn as well is that um as much as like psychohistory plays into the story, I think the interesting fact is that there is this a little bit of what you know Brent told us about in the first season finale, this deus ex machina, that the second foundation mind powers have to kind of interject to course correct because within only 300 years of this thousand year plan, apparently, if that is really what it is, a thousand year plan, um, they already have this nearly catastrophic, unpredicted event that almost obliterates the entire plan, except that, oh, there's this whole society of mind power people course correcting the actions of individuals back onto or to drive the actions of the population back onto the, the track that they want it to be on. So it almost kind of it's self-defeating in a way, this idea of psychohistory. Well, it's, you know, it's almost like his backup plan was his actual plan. <laughs> like having the second foundation was what actually meant it was going to succeed. And the other thing was like, well, I'm going to push this ball down this hill, but I'm just going to have these guardrails in place because otherwise you're not such a great ball, but it doesn't matter how good a ball roller you are. We're going to bumper ball. Yeah, bump basically what it through is. the through the Selden plan, basically. Yeah, and, but at the same time, my, my son who <laughs> goes bumper bowling thinks he's awesome at bowling because he's got this thing. Bump, but that's kind of the first foundation like, of the book. Exactly. Like, oh, I'm fantastic at this. Look how great we are. We kill these people. We're <laughs> the plan in full effect. I'm pushing all these buttons. I'm pushing all these buttons. And it's like there you are. Yeah. <laughs> sure you are. Oh yeah. Uh, but that seems oh, what's going man, on. That's second really upsetting to me. <laughs> like, that's, that's like that's the matrix it is. for those dudes yeah it is it's like a matrix yeah 
So maybe, Peter, probably um, we should get you talking again because it looks like, you know, your eyes are closing. About that time. So let's, well, let's I just had some. Jump. I, I think Joseph had some interesting uh, comments, like mysteries being old timey. Um, I would argue that, uh, like the Harry Potter series, which is massively popular, is basically one mystery story after another. Um, that's kind of how they're structured. It's like, oh, there's this weird thing going on, and oh, we're gonna have zany adventures in the meantime, and uh, at the end of every book, we figure out the real mystery. You know. I think I meant noirs, basically. So it's almost like a noir detective story. So like Maltese Falcon. The oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Like um, there's some some dark dame that should have yeah, walked into your that, office. That kind of feel to things. One one of the things that also strikes me from reading these is, I don't know if it's, again, maybe it's a thing of the time that he was raised and, and lived is, I think is the the kernel of his argument, right, is that if you don't have to work hard to do anything ever, you literally won't accomplish anything no matter what. So humans must live in a place where they have stress or they have, you know, adversity. Otherwise, they're they can't possibly succeed. I think that's I don't know if that's true. I, I mean, I, I can see how that, like in the back of my head, there's, there's certainly folks in my life that are like, oh, you have to work for everything. You got to work hard for everything. But is that, would that cause I mean, the fall of an entire empire? I don't know. I think it's, it's not so, I don't, didn't get the impression that that's what caused the empire's fall. It was the, not so much the, like the laziness. I mean, there's complacency. Stagnation. But it, it's mostly it's mostly the lack of innovation and the unwillingness to embrace new ideas, right? Like there's no not even progress. It's just like everybody's very stilted, and there's also a ton of self interest that obliterate that. That's like the the nail in the final nail in the coffin is that anybody with any kind of ambition, if they have power, they're going to crush any competition, mm-hmm. and then if they don't have like any kind of savvy, they're going to get crushed by the next guy who does have some savvy and ambition. Right. So then it's like this, they're like crabs in a bucket, right? They're constantly pulling each other back down. Um, That was kind of the stagnation over specialization. And, you know, basically this vicious ambition cycle that was motivated by self-interest instead of the good of the empire or the good of, you know, the people, right? That was the, that was the curse of the empire. Joe or Joseph, what are we calling you? Either one's fine. I answer. All right. uh, So Joey, Joe, Joe, Joey, Joe, Joe, Jr. I believe is what we're going to call him. (laughs) (laughs) That's the worst name I've ever heard. That's the worst name ever. (laughs) Joey, Joe, Joe. Colorado, we'll call him. Yeah. Right. Colorado, so, uh, there you go. He said he found his voice. Like we'll call him Roast Beef Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, okay. Roast Beef Joe. He, you know, I would like. I'll probably have to give an award to Roast Beef Joe tonight. For, <laughs> I mean, probably the greatest keyboardist that I have ever seen at time. a live music restaurant in my life. Just an amazing performer. An artiste. That's even. the piece. Yes, Beef Joe. A soul brother. 
<laughs> rest in sure. peace, Rush Beat Joe. Rush Beat Joe didn't make know. it. I don't, know. I don't Can't think know. he's, you know, it was like, what was it, 20, 25 years ago, Dan? Yeah. Was, we probably he could, saw he him. could still be playing those piano sweeps. Those beautiful glissandos. I think, I think uh, Catfish Cafe is not around anymore. No, not a place anymore. And I understand. It hasn't been for a very long time. So we can call Joe a lot of things. Is what so Joey Jojo. Jo. You can call him Joey Jojo. Jo, 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 jo. <laughs> uh, he's he. I made a comment about uh, I, uh, Isaac I, Asimov finding his voice, and uh, was that voice sardonic? Is the question that I wanted to ask you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the build up was <laughs> perfect for that, Peter. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I don't know what I Sorry, said. Last about Joey Jojo. You totally lost, lost my train. I lost my That's spaceship of thought. I was trying to think of another Joe name, and uh, Dan, um, you would you'll remember this. What was the what was the strongman's name who came in down to the skin in Kentucky Fried Movie? Yeah, Big Jim Slade. Oh, Jim. Ah, oh, it's not yeah, Joe. It's so Big Jim Slade. Kentucky Fried Movie available. Actually, it's probably yeah, it's probably more like Peter. Yeah. yeah, for situations truly, where truly uh, down things don't end, don't end uh, don't end the way you want. The, the video comes with equipped with Big Jim Slade. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know if God. Peter knows this movie. It might oh, be. Oh, it, it might be too I young. Love uh, I love uh, Kentucky Fried Movie. Kentucky okay, Fried good, movie. Good, good, good. It's amazing. <laughs> it's my VHS copy. It's not. I don't have a VHS player, so it's good that you can stream it on Peacock. <laughs> Joe, bit, yeah, Joe. You know, he like he burst in on our finale here to kind of save us from our from ourselves. <laughs> I think uh, very important yeah. to recognize. It's done a fine job. You know, I'd just like to point out for our listeners, Joe is a unique sci-fi fan especially in in the company of the such nerds podcast because he has preference for uh the foundation series over dune which is um probably the weirdest thing to say on our such yeah yeah, it's probably not consistent with the the general sentiment of the current uh co-hosts of the of the podcast Although it may change as we as we learn more, because Joe is far more deeply read in Isomovian writings than uh, than the rest of us. But what I'm interested to know, Joe, is when I was reading Dune, it kind of ended. You know, Frank Herbert's original series ended on a kind of a cliffhanger for me, and it really, you know, I was kind of glad, even though I felt like I had to kind of grit my teeth through the Brian Herbert uh, conclusions of Dune. Um, it was a relief to get some closure at the end. So I guess my question is, because we've finished the first three books, I feel like we're on a bit of a cliffhanger here because we've gotten the second foundation nod, but we haven't really met the end of the Selden plan yet. Um can we look forward to some closure or does Isimov tease us all the way through and encourage us to buy even more of his books and read even more of his universe before we feel like we've had enough? So 
I think it, these stand on their own. Even the newer ones, they will stand on their own. Like you could pick up any of these books and not have read the other ones and kind of are like, well, I don't know really what's going on, but you know, there's some kind of fight between these good guys and these bad guys and, and figure it out. But I think he does answer more questions about the concepts. Um, I really don't want to give stuff away. Keep me guessing. You're a good soul. All right. All right. Well, I, I think you're winding down to the most exciting portion of the pod of the season ending podcast um, for, for award time. So oh, the award ceremony. That's right. That's right. So I've put a lot of hard, um, hard work into uh, evaluating the competitors. Um, and by hard work, I, do you mean forgetting to do the work before? <laughs> hardly the working. Person? I've been working hardly on determining what awards should we should we pass out this season and who should win them. Um, and thank you, Dan, for for queuing that up. So, for the first award, you know, I think. For those who have listened to previous po- uh, episodes of our podcast, especially the finales, you're aware that we've given away the Prescience Award in the past. It was a tough one this time. I really didn't want to give the award to Peter again, just because. <laughs> <laughs> Screw that guy. And, and I also did not read ahead this time at all for book three, so I was hoping that I, even myself could be considered maybe in the running for the Prescience Award. In the end, however, it is a very tight race between Dan race. and Peter for the Prescience Award. There were both there were some very, very nice comments along the way, uh, foretelling of what actually happened on on both accounts. Were there any in particular that jumped out at you, Jason? Well, at one point, Peter, you said uh, something very pointed about both Arcadia and Beta having a certain quality or a certain sense or having a certain affinity for the Second Foundation. And I think that it wasn't exactly what the story was, but it was pretty darn close to their being touched by the Foundation, both in a similar way. You also threw a lot of spaghetti against the wall too, Peter. Um, I mean, I think you predicted things that were contradictory to one another. Um, oh yeah, I threw out a bunch of stuff, and one of them became true, and the other one obviously did not because it was the opposite. He's uh, a volume volume <laughs> president shooter. He's just that, now I am, but vo- Bracey's via attrition. Yeah, yeah. Dan, you had a lot of good uh, a lot of good thoughts, and while I would like to exclusively give this award to Dan, just so that I could not give it to Peter <laughs> for a third season, I think it's a tie. This time around, I think uh, both Dan and Peter share the share the first place podium for the Precincts Award this time around. Nice job. We're going to need a bigger sash because it's not going to fit. Thank you. Thank you. Some some people's prescient ideas are just more important than other people's prescient ideas. So tie goes to the winner. (laughs) (laughs) The tie goes to the winner. Um, I actually invented... What, you said you were inventing something? I invented a new award. Yes, for mm-hmm. the season three, I invented a new award. and uh, Was it best editor? <laughs> <laughs> Was it finest elderbeard? 
hardest working editor on the podcast. Yeah, no, I think we all know who would win that award. So that's a little bit too obvious. Uh, Not fair. You know, Dan, I think we pointed out last season that you've joined the podcast. You've delivered uh, excellent summaries. You were the best new amateur podcasting sci-fi commentary co-host in season two. Mm -hmm. Uh, This season, we're not giving that award out anymore. Um, You certainly would win it. But um, I mean, you've uh, won it so hard that we just have to retire it. Right. Basically, you're not a new podcaster anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You're still the newest, but I mean, really what happened is the uh, the contractor who etches that plaque screwed it up and spelled it wrong. So mm-hmm. I just tossed it and I invented a new uh, a new word. Jason, you screwed it up again? It's like it's like uh, the Steve Buscemi, the hello, hey, fellow high school kids. You know, they're not a new podcaster anymore. <laughs> for everybody with your age. You're clearly an old podcaster. So I get it. Exactly. Can you believe there's an undercover cop here? <laughs> Oh my um, so I invented uh, a new award, and it is it is called the Such Nerds Participation Award. Nice. And uh, for this particular award, you guessed it, guys. Everybody's it's a winner. A it's a tie. We all <laughs> win. Even Joe gets a Such Nerds Participation, Participation Award this year. So I would. Just I mean, like, I would think if anybody should get it. It would be Joe. I mean, Absolutely. he's been in it from the get-go. Yeah. And he had to listen to our terrible content. Does Russ, does Russ get one, too, for of not course. participating? Anybody, <laughs> anybody who's participated at any point in the history of our podcast hereby receives the participation award. Mm. So congratulations, everybody. Well done. A great job. We all won. We also all lost. Yes. Bye. So By comparison. I was going to give out an award myself. For um, most microphones hit during the podcast, <laughs> uh, and it was Dan was going to be the clear winner, but nope. for this particular episode, I think Jason might have won. <laughs> All over the place. I was trying to catch up, so I was at least in the running. You know, I had to keep it bumping into it every time. You know, I went to say something, and 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 there is there's one there's actually one more award that I would like to uh, pass out at the end of our trilogy completion. I would actually like to give an award to the best such nerds podcast fan. And I would like to give that award to Joe today because. Yes. Not only did Joe subscribe to our podcast, like within eight hours of posting our first episode, but he has continued to actually listen to us after hearing our first episode. (laughs) (laughs) And Joe, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil anything, but you get to go on an episode of the podcast (laughs) as your award. (laughs) Retroactive award award. Just and along the way, replace my name with yeah. Josh. <laughs> um, along the way, Joe even he he left uh, comments for us. He reached out and and um, you know and told us what he thought of the podcast. So I really appreciate Joe hanging with us 
and we're happy that we finally got you on an, on an episode here. Hopefully we haven't now scared you away from listen, continuing <laughs> to listen to the podcast, but, uh, but thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, and, and his prize is that he he's not going to get edited out now of this episode. Oh, <laughs> yes. Uh, so, thank you. I, if I, you have a speech, go was, for it, Joe. Yeah, my my speech is that it was uh, it was it's interesting to hear other people's perspectives on something that I enjoyed. So it's uh, basically uh, it was a uh, it's it's been fun so far, and uh, there's plenty of books. This guy is prolific, so. And you can even switch authors because your podcast is not named specifically for Isaac Asimov, yeah. so you win. Exactly, exactly. There was a method to that madness. So with that, I think we're all feeling pretty good about getting to the end of this uh, first three books. And we've turned the tide on a few uh, disgruntled fellow readers uh, that are active co-hosts on the podcast here. So thank you again, Joe, for joining us. Yeah. Do you have Thanks. any closing, uh, anything to close with, Joe? Anything you want to tell our audience before you, the end of the uh, evening? Listen to the Such Nerds podcast. It's it's spectacular. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. What about you, Dan? Do you any, any closing thoughts for the season, the last three books? No, I think it's getting it's getting better. Yeah, I'm glad we stuck with it. I'm really looking forward to another season. It's like a lightning bolt hits me, knocks me, <laughs> right. me murders me. Yeah, but I'll, I'm going to expect the unexpected because I'm a Gemini. <laughs> I knew there was something wrong with you. <laughs> All right, Peter. Any any other closing thoughts before we wrap it up? Here? Uh, no. What uh, What are we reading next? Foundation's Edge is the next chronologically written book, and it seems okay. like it is a uh, a continuation of the story from where we left off, I believe. Okay, so, fantastic. So we get to see what happens next. We're not going back in time. We're going forward not in yet. time. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm excited. Any last words, Jason? I would just like to thank our listeners, thank my co-hosts. I'm really uh, looking forward to the next season. Well, I, for one, am looking forward to seeing what's over the edge of the foundation um, the next season. I've been your master of ceremonies for tonight. Peter, along with my beautiful co-hosts. Jason from Connecticut. Dan from Los Angeles. I'm Joe from Denver. And we'll see you guys next time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot, everybody. Bye-bye. Kisses. Kisses.